Our reading uh, for this morning, please, will be (coughs) from the Colossian Epistle, chapter 2, and it will be verses 1 to 7. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted or encouraged, being knit together in love to the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge or acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you, should deceive you or entice you with enticing words, deceptive words, alluring words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I'm with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order or discipline and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, (coughs) rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you've been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. And the Lord may bless that word to us. <clears throat> now, Brother Nick's been taking us through this Colossian epistle. And I have found it a very great blessing to me. Why? Because it made me look at the epistle in a completely new way, in an enriched way, And in this epistle I saw, like I'd never seen before, the glory of the Lord. And it's always good to look at the glory of the Lord. Before I came out this morning, I chanced to pick up a book looking for some books, and I flipped over a page and there was a quote there by Murray McShane, the great preacher. He said, you know, for every single look we take at ourselves, we should take ten looks at Christ. My, that'd be beautiful, wouldn't it? We all looking on the glory of the Lord be transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And in this age of such self-absorption, how wonderfully transformed we'd be with such multiplicity of Christ-absorption. And that's the one I want to put before you this morning. Centre stage, just as the Apostle puts the Lord Jesus Christ centre stage in his epistle that we might be found this morning looking at him. And as you, because you see, all these blessings we've talked about today, all that fountain of living water, all those glorious things that have come to us in blessings innumerable, every single one of them is to be found in Christ. Every single one. They came from the heart of God. They came to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. And they are resident in him as by the Holy Spirit he pours them out to us. And we receive of his fullness, the fullness of the fountain of living waters. We receive grace upon grace 
flow upon flow, wave upon wave. Now I want you to look. Because if you can see this in the Colossian epistle, it will absolutely thrill your heart, you know. As you're looking at him, we'll, we'll be learning to, be, to, to listen to him. And as we're looking at him and listening to him, we'll learn better to lean on him. And as we're looking at him and listening to him and leaning on him, then we'll learn to be resting more perfectly in him. And finally, we'll be rejoicing because of him. Now that's what it does when you look on the glory of the Lord. Because in this epistle, you see, the Lord Jesus is presented to us as preeminent, as supreme and as central. Preeminent in all things. Supreme in every single situation that you find him and that you see him. And amongst anybody else, he's always standing there gloriously supreme. And he's totally central, you see. He is center, he is the center and central to the Christian faith. He is our foundation stone, he is our cornerstone, and he is our top stone. It's all to do with the Lord Jesus Christ, who is presented here as the one who is all, you get that? All and in all. There is nothing missing, there is nothing you can add, because it's all there in our Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to go through that chapter 1, you'd see that in verse 15 he's actually over all. In verse 16, he is in all. In verse 16, he is through all. In verse 17, he's before all. And in verse 17, he's sustaining all. So what you've got here, you see, in the Lord Jesus, is an all-sufficient saviour. There's nothing missing from him. And there's nothing to be found outside of him. And therefore, only he can fully satisfy. The climax of this teaching that we're just touching to start with is reached in chapter 2, verse 10, when he gets to the, almost to the end of his doctrinal exposition and he says those lovely words, you are complete in him. Fellow Christian, we are totally and absolutely complete in him. You talk about salvation, what part of salvation do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about your acceptance before God? We're accepted in the beloved. You want to talk about the idea of the righteousness that we need? Christ, our righteousness. You want to talk about the redemption which we so desperately need? We have redemption in him. In chapter 1, it's in whom we have redemption. Even the forgiveness of sins, it's to be found in him. Is it peace you're looking for? He is our peace. Absolutely everything that we need, firstly for our acceptance before God, for the satisfaction of our sins, for the fullness of our own personal joy and the grandeur of our redemption, it is all to be found in him. We are complete in him. I want to take that further. Because it's not only to do with our immediate salvation now, in the sense of our standing before God, but all we need for our sanctification, all we need for our final glorification, is found in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we move through the world, and as we face the journey between now and eternity, as pilgrims in our weakness, what you'll find is all the strength you need for that is found in him. Fellow Christians struggling, all the strength you need is found in him. 
or the help you need. It's found in him. Because this Jesus, this saviour, this all-sufficient saviour of ours, is the one who sits upon the throne of grace. And when you've got a time of need, you can approach that throne of grace and you can find grace to help in time of need. The extent of the grace that will come in time of need is a grace that's sufficient. You remember the Apostle Paul in his burden and his trouble that he had? The messenger for Satan that was causing him so much turmoil? And he goes and the Lord says, My grace is sufficient for thee. Fellow Christian, I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord today. I don't know where you are as the devil may be as attacking you, but I just want you to know everything you need is to be found in our all-sufficient Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. You need no one else. You need nothing else. All you need is Christ, his finished work, and his ongoing work. His finished work for your salvation and acceptance before God and his ongoing work for your support every day as our great high priest sympathizes and succors us, as our shepherd leads and guides us. You are complete in him for the journey out of darkness, into light, out of Satan, into God, through the world with all its trouble and all its attack, to the final reception in the wonderful plains of glory by and by. By and by. Fellow believers, I want you to get there. I want you to understand this morning the richness of those words which are, are always a blessing to me. I have Christ. What want I more? You all know that old poem, and you'll excuse me if I quote it again, won't you? In the heart of London's city, mid the dwellings of the poor, these bright golden words were spoken. I have Christ, what want I more? Spoken by a lonely woman, dying on a garret floor, having not one earthly comfort, she said, I have Christ, what want I more? She grasped the meaning of an all-sufficient saviour. She understood she was complete in him. Oh, maybe she wasn't very educated. And or maybe she was of no consequence in the society of this world. But she knew the Lord. She knew the Lord. And fellow Christian, I want you to get that this morning. Everything you need is to be found in him. Sufficient in all things? Yes, all things. Sufficient for all things? Yes, for all things. Sufficient in life, sufficient in death, and sufficient in eternity. Now, Paul's really, really concerned here because you can tell by the way this verse 1 opens up. He's troubled about these people because, you see, what's happening is they're getting some teaching. They're they're wonderful Christians, really beautiful believers, a wonderful company of believers, but they're in danger that their minds and thinking might be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. Fellow Christian, don't let anybody take you away from your simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let them. Don't let them laugh at you. Well, let them laugh at you, but don't let them influence you. If all you say is, well, I just walk with the Lord in the light of his word and what a glory he sheds on my way. There's nothing like reading your Bible, bending your knee, opening your ear and obeying the Lord and loving and trusting and serving him. Nothing more academic than that, shall I put it that way. 
And they're in danger of being corrupted from this beautiful simplicity where they're going to say, Christ is all and he's in all. You see, in this little bit of idea coming into the church, was well, he was, he was, uh, he was on stage very much, but, but he wasn't quite centre stage, you see. He was much, but he was not all. He was some great thing, but he was not everything. You see, he was, he was not quite the full way, the truth and the life. He was the way, the truth and the life, but if you threw in a few ceremonies and you added a bit of circumcision and you kept a few feast days, and of course if you just brought in a few angels into your system of worship, you'd have a fuller salvation and you enjoy, would enjoy it a lot better. You see, these people trying to talk like that, they'd never read Revelation 1. They never read the verse that said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. There's nothing outside of me. I am the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the Almighty. They'd never read the Hebrew epistle, where the writer says, looking off unto Jesus, the what? The author and the finisher, the A to Z of our faith. And fellow Christian, the Apostle Paul says, I'm going to take him, and I'm going to combat that doctrine without going into all the details and I'm going to put him right centre stage and that's exactly what he does you notice how he opens the epistle he says Paul he says what is he he's an apostle of Jesus Christ in verse 1 verse 2 he talks about the saints and faithful in Christ verse 3 he speaks of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ verse 4 we've heard of your faith in Christ you see how he's bringing him right to the front never let him out of your view Never let him out of your vision. Always keep him centre stage. As he goes through the epistle and opens up some wonderful truths, the Lord Jesus is always there, centre stage. He talks about creation in chapter 1. Well, he made it. He talks about reconciliation in chapter 1. He made it. He talks about redemption in chapter 1. He accomplished it. And he talks about the mystery of God in chapter 1 and 2. But Christ, he revealed it. And see, he is the centre of all wisdom and of all knowledge. And the opening up of the very fountainhead of blessing, of the very heart of God, is in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ, the source of all wisdom, not some, all wisdom and all knowledge. And if that's not enough, when he comes to look at the practical teachings of Colossians, for instance, like Nick, Brother Nick took up the other week about the master and the servant, or the slave and his master, or in other words, the employer and the employee. He says, hey, employer, I've got a word to say to you, just a little word to say to you. Don't you forget that you've got, and the way you treat your employees, you've got a master in heaven yourself. See, go look at the Lord. You employees, when you go to work of a day, you know, just remember one thing. Do it heartily as unto the Lord. And the point you must take from this, Christ is there in the centre. It's Christ alone. It's complete in him. It's I have Christ, what want I more? It is the wonder of an all-sufficient saviour. You eat apart from that, we'll be in trouble. You depart from that, you'll be in trouble. I depart from that, I'll be in big trouble. And Paul writes in such a way that very, very clearly he's really concerned. You look at the words in verse 28. Look at how he talks. Whom we preach, he's declaring, and he's warning every man. You see, there's a, a problem, there's a danger. 
And he says, teaching every man in all wisdom, because he wants them to have understanding, present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labour, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. And I want you to know what great conflict that I have for you and for them at Laodicea. And you can see the, the sense of effort and the urgency and the burden that he's carrying, that he's got this inward desire. It's almost like a, you can feel the passion coming through the words of warning, teaching, laboring, striving. He says, I can see there's an enemy, there's a battle here, there's an enemy that's got to be defeated. There's a battle that's got to be won. There's a, an object, a goal that's got to be reached. He says, I've got to see all these Christians established in their faith, and I've got to see them perfect in Christ. He is jealous for them, like he says in Corinthians, jealous with a jealousy which is of God. He feels strongly about the sheep, about God's people. Jealousy is a passionate emotion. It can be a bitter and violent emotion. And he says, I'm stirred to the very depths of my being for these believers. Can you imagine him praying for them and the passion that would be in it? Not just a tick on the prayer list, no, but like a Jacob who wrestled all night with God and who stood there and he says, I saw God face to face, but he said, I wouldn't let him go until he blessed me. Paul's saying, as it were, I'm not going to let go until you get the blessing that God has in mind. Every spiritual blessing, perfect in Christ. And he says, I'm in a conflict here I'm doing in a battle. And you see him, as it were, in the intensity of the whole thing. And he says, this is what I feel like, and this is how I feel about God's people. Fellow Christian, is there one of us sitting here this morning who feels like that about the people of God? You want them to see Jesus and Jesus only. You want them to be blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. You want them to be filled with the knowledge of his will. You want them to grow in their faith, to have a full understanding. You want them to get to the point where they say, I have Christ, what want I more? The church needs men and women like that. And we need men and women who pray like that in this church here for the blessing of God's people, for growth protection and fruitfulness and for an understanding of all that there is in the Lord Jesus Christ. So with that background, he says in verse 1 or verse 2, he's praying for them. He says, desires, I should say, for them. He says, I want you that they might be comforted or encouraged. Now get one thing straight right away. If you're discouraged this morning, it's the devil. All right? That's his weapon. God may stop you doing something, but he won't discourage you. He won't bring you into a downheartedness. He may well stop you in something for your own good, or it may be for his own will. He will not discourage. He is the God of all encouragement. Paul is saying, I want them to see, see them encouraged. I want to see them knit together in love. Knit together in love. He says, I want to see you, you know, Think of that ball of wool and that one single thread coming onto the knitting needles and there's a stitch. And then there's a, another stitch which depended on that stitch, which is linked with the next stitch. And the whole thing becomes intertwined, interconnected and interwoven and finally to produce one single garment. 
Now that's what he wants for the church. Fellow Christian, that's what we want to pray for for our church here because behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. That's what we want. Don't let the devil in. Don't let him in. Certainly not through you, nor through me. Don't worry about the other brother. Just let's look after our own front door. He says knit together in love because he wants them to have, what does it say here, that full assurance that comes from a knowledge of the mystery of God and then of the Father and of Christ. Some versions put it, the mystery of God, Christ. Well, there's something beautiful about that because he actually is the one who is the revelation of who God is. Do you see now why he's centre stage? Do you see now why we are complete in him? Do you see now why he must be the source of our gaze constantly? Do you understand that once you have him, I have Christ, what want I more? Can you not grasp the fact that he is the opening up of the very mystery of God, even of the Father, who is the source of all, who is the originator of all? It is he, Christ, the image of that very God, who is the one who reveals like... Well, I always thought of Joseph, you know. Joseph had a new name that Herod gave him. It was Zaphnath Penea. Do you know what that means? The revealer of secrets. And our blessed Lord is more than Joseph. He's the revealer of the secret of the heart of God, which is so full of blessings that only a capacity of the capacity of the infinite could ever hold, and we the finite could never picture. But they're there in Christ to come to us through the Holy Spirit. And he says here, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And he says, I want you to come to the full understanding, to the full knowledge of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Now, I want you to notice this, knowledge, wisdom, all right? There's a difference, isn't there? First of all, all knowledge and all wisdom, treasures of wisdom and knowledge, are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what that plainly means, quite frankly, is that if you leave Christ out, you leave God out of your thinking, and what you're, what you're left with is absolute folly. You see, you'll be left with factual information missing, intellectual machinations just messed up, spiritual and moral poverty. Why? Because you've left out the one who is the source of all wisdom and of all knowledge. Knowledge is to have the information, you see, to have all the facts. Lots of people have got knowledge. Academics are really good at having knowledge. Wisdom or understanding is understanding how they interrelate and knowing how to use the knowledge. An academic isn't necessarily very practical, is he? And very often the practical is not necessarily got all the knowledge, but he knows how to use it. Now in the Lord Jesus, the two come beautifully combined together, all wisdom and all knowledge. Fellow believers, you take him out of the equation of thinking. You take him out of the scheme of operation, and what you'll find is there's no wisdom. And there's a paucity of knowledge. There's a tragedy of outcome. We look at the world today in our Western world as they, they do away with him who is the source of all wisdom and of all knowledge. And in their own strength, in their own puny mind, they seek to work out the wonders of the world. And we've watched them navigate their way 
with some sort of broken compass through the torrid nature of the COVID epidemic and we see them trying to navigate their way through the so-called climate control and climate change, the international crises, the moral crises that beset the Western world. And what's happening? They're leaving God out of it. And what happens then? You stumble into moral bankruptcy, social misery, and intellectual, pardon me, buffoonery. I mean, what comes out of some learning halls of learning as being fact is is even more ridiculous than something that could be fiction. It's past the meaning of fairy tale. It was quite sad, really, and I was really sad the other week to see a heading in the newspaper. And it was the Prime Minister, and I'm, if it was anybody else, I'd still say it, that he standing there with his hands up, off to Glasgow, you know, together we will control the climate. Uh, nobody, what about the God of creation? Nobody even bowed the knee. What about the maker of the universe? He who set the stars in their place, who ordained the planets, who in the circle of the earth, who made the Noahic covenant, who's the only one who could touch or go anywhere near the sun, let alone poor souls like we and I. Yes, intellectual misery, moral bankruptcy, social disgust, and finally just sad, sad lack of wisdom and knowledge. So how can we negotiate our pathway through this? How can we? Just you and I, simple believers. I tell you, you put your hand of faith. You take it and you put it into the hand of God. And you just quietly say, I have Christ. What want I more? For it's in him that are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Father believer, you don't need more, but you don't need less. You don't need less. You see, throughout this chapter, this thought of the Lord Jesus as being hidden, having the, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, has been brought out in chapter 1 so magnificently. First of all, there was creation. Have you ever thought of creation? Have you ever thought of all the different parts of it? I mean, you can't think of all the different parts of it. There are so many of them. Just imagine if you, you look at the bird life and you think of all the different parts that make up the bird world, or you look at the animal life, or you look at the trees, or you look at mankind, and you think, how much information? How much information do you need? How much knowledge do you need? And then you think of, but how could you bring it all together? It's such a diversity and complexity, and yet it comes together in such beautiful harmony to create a thing of such absolute beauty. And you know what? My Father made it all. The Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also he made the worlds. The one in his whom is to be found all wisdom and all knowledge. You see, he originated it. It was of him. That's so important. There was nothing to start with, but the very notion of it came from within himself. The detail and the smallest, the most minute particle came from within his own knowledge. And then as it came of him, so it was made by him. As in his wisdom he would put it together. He originated it, he created it, he sustained it. In whom I hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then the next thing he talks about is the church in chapter 1. And he's the head of the church. And if you think of the church, you think of today's world. 
You think of the bitterness and the anger amongst people today, the division, the discrimination, the racial hatred, the international crises, and you say, well, wouldn't it be a good idea to get everybody to come together in unity and war shall be no more and peace shall exist and brother will love brother and everybody support everybody and say, what a wonderful idea. I tell you what, that's exactly what the church is. The church is that beautiful society where each believer is bound to the other believer in a bond of harmony and of love. And a life that is shared from the same fountain of life. A life that is shared by the head to whom they give place, authority, primacy of direction. And together with one heart, sharing the one life, they are nourished by the same person. And the perfection of the church, we see the manifold wisdom of God. Isn't that beautiful? We're going to be a display, fellow believers. When we're up there in the glory, in perfection, he will display in us the exceeding riches of his grace. And through the church he will show to angelic beings the manifold wisdom of God in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You say, but how could God do it? It's impossible. Mankind are at divisions, they're at war, they're lusting one against another. They're at enmity with God and God has issues with them. That's exactly what he says in verse 21. You are alienated, you are enemies in your mind by your wicked works. And you say, well, you can't even get started on this project. What's needed? What's needed is reconciliation. That's number one. You've got to bring two together. And he says he'd been reconciled to God through the death of his son in chapter one. See, it's in him. He knew exactly what was needed. He knew exactly what had to be done. Sinners had to be reconciled to God through the death of his son. And if that's not enough, having been reconciled, we would then be brought together in such a bond that it would never be broken, no, not even for all eternity. He knew what to do, reconciliation. And he knew how to do it because he did it by the death of his son. It required a sacrifice for sin. It required a substitute to die. It required a Holy Spirit to come from above and to make us anew and to bind us together in the bundle of the living and bring us safe into the arms of Christ, never to be taken away ever again. And he has actually done it. He's made peace. So there can be reconciliation, making peace, binding together. And you see the manifold wisdom, the, the depths of the wisdom and knowledge hidden in the Lord Jesus Christ in creation you see it in new creation and you see it in redemption my saviour did it all over oh, the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out but I tell you, there is one in whom is hid the secret of God, even of the Father, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. They've been revealed. They stand supreme. And Paul is saying, look, I don't want you to get... I, I'm worried lest you'll be taken away from that. 
Fellow believers, let's go back to him this morning, simply trusting every day. Trusting through a stormy way. Even when my faith is small, trusting Jesus. That is all. That is all. Christ and Christ alone. No none Christ can satisfy. Yes, we are complete in him. In him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. And you go to verse 4, he says, I'm saying this to you because I'm worried that, you see, someone might come with these beguiling words, these enticing words, and you might just be turned away from it. Because I'm looking at you, he said in verse 5, he says, I can see that you're very disciplined in your faith. You're very committed. Now he said, the clue to avoiding this tragedy that could come upon you is what I'm saying to you in verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. In other words, continue the way you started. You started your Christian faith, your Christian walk, your Christian life. How did you start it? You came, I came to Jesus as I was, weary and worn and sad. You came as a sinner. You came, what is it? As a little child. And you came believing. You came simply trusting, never doubting. You came with no argument. You came with nothing in your hand. You just need, you just knew, I need a saviour, for I am the sinner. And in that pureness of simplicity, as in a little child, you came trusting, you came believing, you came resting, and you then were rejoicing. You remember when it happened? When the burden of your sin rolled away? And you had the sense of what it meant to be forgiven and to be a child of God? Oh, happy day, you sang. They fixed my choice on thee, my Saviour and my God. Well might these glowing heart rejoice and tell its raptures all and all. Happy day, happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away. Fellow Christian, what he's saying here is, that's how you started and that's how you must continue. Don't depart from the simplicity that is in Christ. Don't do it. And we're in danger of it today as we get so intelligent, oh, and so educated, and so knowledgeable, as psychology has corrupted the simplicity of our thinking and has actually weaned us away from the understanding that all we need is in Christ and in his word, and it has done that. And as the general population is getting more and more educated, and as our young people are all now getting degrees at the university, learning in the schools of learning everything that's anti-God, and that will corrupt them from the simplicity that is in Christ. Meanwhile, we preach Christ and him crucified. And we say, look unto him and be ye saved, or the ends of the earth. And we say that none but Christ can satisfy. And we tell them to look, to trust, and to believe. And that's where we continue on. Never depart from that kind of life. Trusting alone in him. Simply trusting every day. Leaning alone upon him. Leaning 
on the everlasting arms. He's an all-sufficient saviour. He has saved you. He is able to keep you. And he is able to take you right through life and its trials with your hand in his, in the simplicity of a child who will be led by him, who will listen to him, who will just look to him with those beautiful, simple eyes of faith and will completely trust him. He'll land you in the glory by and by and the devil will never stop you getting there. That's the wonder of the saviour that we have, the all-sufficient saviour. And he says, if you'll do that, if you'll just carry on as you started, you'll end up like this, he said. What does it say there in verse 7? You will be rooted in him. Now, what that means to be rooted in him, there's the idea of stability, isn't it? And also, you know, you don't uproot a plant if you want it to grow well. You know, don't go elsewhere for your nourishment. Christ alone. Yes, you'll never thirst again. Isn't that what we heard this morning? You'll never thirst again. You'll never hunger anymore. Stay rooted in him. Take the old plant out of the ground and stick it somewhere else and it all goes shriveled and ugly looking and you're feeding it and watering it and trying to get it back to what it was. No, no, no. Christ alone. Christ alone. I repeat it. Christ and Christ alone. Rooted in him, that's stability. And you'll be built up in him and that's the idea of growth. You'll be established. You know, there'll be something solid that Satan cannot knock you over. And you will be taught. You will have some understanding. And what does it end up with? Abounding therein with thanksgiving. You know, you'll go on your way rejoicing every day. You'll give God thanks every day. And if you do what Murray McShane said, he suggested you do, every time you look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. And you'll be thanking him ten times every day for every look at yourself. Think about that. Think of the possibility. Think of the dimensions. Think of the growth. Think of the stability. Think of the being rooted in him. Think of how you'll be kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation's day. That's what's going to happen. Though earth and hell are way opposed, what does it matter? Christ is on the throne. I've got my hand in his and I walk with him every day. I trust him every moment. I listen. I look. I have faith and I believe. And therefore I speak without any fear. I speak clearly and preach Christ and him crucified. Take that home this morning, fellow Christian, and let it warm your heart. Just stay there, resting in the Lord. In Christ alone, the all-sufficient Saviour. Complete in him. And join that woman. And say from the depths of your heart, because you found it true, I have Christ. What want I more? And if there's someone who doesn't know him, I just want to tell you, if you'll go to him, he'll give you the rivers of waters of life. And he'll give you a fountain of living water. He will wash you from your sins, the fountain filled with blood. He'll satisfy your longing and he'll remove your guilt and he'll make you right with God and he'll take you to heaven. And he stands in the last, the great day of the feast. He says, whosoever thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. May God bless us this morning. Father, we, we can say...
little more but bowing, humble worship, gratitude and thanksgiving. We say thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And, oh, Father, we do pray that we might walk closer with the Lord this week. Father, we do pray that we may understand the blessings that are to be found in him in a way that perhaps we've never understood it before. We do pray that we may be able to read this Colossian epistle and we may see in it the glory of the Lord. Father, we do pray that we may look on the glory of the Lord. Help us to have quiet times in which we think, in which we pray, in which we read, times where we don't rest, until like Jacob of old, we we come to that point where we can say we are seeing God face to face. Our God and our Father, we give thanks this morning for our time spent in worship and we close gratefully that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost might be our blessed portion in the week that lies ahead or until our Lord may come. Amen.